Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Alex Kalanokas and this is the Autosport Podcast. The 2022 Formula 1 season starts this weekend in Bahrain. There's a new world champion, new car philosophies and a new race weekend format to help with the ever-expanding calendar. So there's plenty to discuss ahead of the season getting underway. And to do that, I'm joined by Autosports Formula 1 reporter Luke Smith. How are you, Luke? Whistle. Good. I was going to say, whistling out in Bahrain. Yeah, I did... Um for a second consider oh we should have gone home but actually like spending the last few days in some nice warm weather has been quite nice Uh, a bit of a sandstorm out there today so uh, that's something for maybe us to keep an eye on through the weekend but uh, yeah no doing good I'm really excited for this new season I've been annoying people I think with my positivity over the new year coming but it's uh, yeah I think it's going to be a really exciting year lots to talk about and uh, lots of new new people to get to know including on our own F1 team indeed I'd like to say for one second I did not consider going home (laughs) after my 5am finish getting in the, uh, the testing room Report for autosport.com, autosport magazine. But yes, I had a 2 30 right. a.m. finish that night. Yeah, you for had different a, reasons. You had a slightly uh, better reason. You were out being wined and dined by the, uh, by the, by the, by the race. Thank you, Bahrain. Yes, indeed. Uh, anyway, let's move on. I should just point out, I was uh, diligently working away in the same seat that I'm sat in now, finishing off my uh, report when Luke came home, looking extremely happy. So that was good. Uh, I was pleased with my 
my feature. So that's, that's another kind of thing. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get on to the most important part of this podcast because we're going to introduce to you, our listeners, a new member of the Autosport Formula One team. You've heard him if you've been listening to our uh, Formula E show uh, and, of course, all the Formula E episodes that we've run in this feed. And he's now Autosport's F1 editor, Matt Q. How are you doing, Matt? I'm all right, thank you. I, uh, I'm not in Bahrain. I was out with you guys uh, enjoying the test, but uh, I managed to catch our first on-time British Airways flight of the season to get back to the UK and uh, be enjoying it from home. And then uh, I think oh, Saturday's don't, my, don't. my first time in a hot seat. No pun intended. <laughs> well, well, I mean, particularly with the new cars, isn't it? The, the seats are getting ever hotter. Ask Alex Albon about that. Um, but yeah, it's not quite your your first uh, go when it comes to being back on the ground in Saudi Arabia. Because um, while a certain Grand Prix editor was off enjoying his best mate's wedding and and having very little memory of uh, what happened uh, that particular day, you were in Zanvoort, were you not? Last uh, last uh, what September? Early September. I enjoyed it very much. I think the standout was uh, was watching that uh, quite steeply banked corner uh, during during FP1, saying sort of almost it flummoxed drivers that we had people bowling around the top and uh, people hugging to the bottom. That was a really sort of as a, as a first way to sort of watch Grand Prix cars on the job. I think I needed something like that to differentiate between different drivers because, with the greatest respect to Formula E, I spent the last eighteen months going the car's a lot slower, so you can tell when a driver's clipping this part of the track and avoiding this part of the track because everything's in slow motion. So I, I felt Zanvoort helped me because it was all exaggerated. And then, of course, you had you had the great fans and uh, uh, a f- not a great race, but a nice sort of strategic battle between Mercedes and Red Bull. So a good way to sort of dip my toe in the Formula One water. Indeed, and you did a very, very uh, successful job that weekend. Thank you very much. And we look forward to everything you're going to be producing uh, this year for us, Matt. I wondered also, Matt, if we could, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Now, I know you're, uh, you're not a man who likes to uh, um, uh, do yourself down. Let's put it, let's put it that way. Um, but I wondered, yeah, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, what your career history is. And I do hope you include the anecdote where a certain future Grand Prix editor and yourself went on a visit to the Autosport Archive. And, and essentially, that's where your career all stemmed from. I think you owe me everything, let's face it. Something like that. So, so the broad strokes are uh, me and my brother probably used to bicker a bit too much for my parents. So my parents took us to our local racetrack, which was Rockingham, to watch uh, Days of Thunder, like a pastiche of NASCAR and there's Ben Collins and things like that. And, you know, eating sausage rolls and the grandstands that have now uh, fell victims to subsidence and now turned into a massive car park. But that's what got me into cars driving quite literally in Rockingham's case in a circle. Um and then I have to say, again, apologies to my parents. I was quite a bad uni student. Uh, maybe apologies to the government even because I misappropriated my student loan to go and sort of cover uh, uh, national race meetings and, and whatever and sort of get my foot oh, in the I thought you were going to say you sport. used the money for other funds. All above board. And then, um, and then through the help of the Autosport Academy, got in, decided very quickly that I was going to harangue our uh, chief editor, magazine editor as he then was, Kevin Turner, at a couple of... Uh, and meals I was uh, invited to as a freelancer and uh, I think bullied him into submission and and then uh, British touring cars Formula 8 and now Formula 1 so that's that's depressingly that's my life summarised in 30 seconds <laughs> I, I can't believe you left out our holiday to Santiago but perhaps the listeners don't need to hear about that uh, but anyway just just so everyone is aware he is still invited to uh, editorial team meals but only just you're on a on a on a, on a, on a thin ice smack you but anyway I think for that's, my, that's uh, enough off-key remarks the editor. yes indeed well anyway that's a, <laughs> let's, let's move on to what people really want to hear but I can listen to you talk all day but I think everybody else much more interested perhaps in Formula 1 so Luke we were in Barcelona then we went to Bahrain how did you find the two tests? What, what was the what, what was the you know was there a big sense a big a big difference between the two events? I think 
when we got to Barcelona, there was kind of an expectation that I think reliability would be a big issue in that test because these are all new cars. I mean, the only part that's been transferred across from the 21 car is the steering wheel. So there was a lot that could go wrong. And then on the opening day, there were no red flags and it all sort of seemed to go quite smoothly to begin with. And then I think we got to Bahrain, sort of not really, we sort of had a loose idea, maybe sort of a top half, bottom half in terms of the pecking order and talk of Mercedes bringing, bringing new upgrades and Red Bull doing the same. And then, yeah, we got to... Bahrain I think we really started to see the pecking order start to flesh out a lot more reliability became much more of an issue McLaren I mean they had a, a pretty disastrous second test all, all things told and Mercedes yeah they brought these new updates to the W13 but they they didn't have the desired effect they they're still struggling with this porpoising issue and we've kind of got to the end of testing going as I know we're going to get on to sort of are Mercedes in trouble but I think that we just got a much better picture through Bahrain in terms of where the teams are at and, and who's looking good and who's who's not looking so good uh yeah i think porpoising was probably the obviously the big buzzword from the first test but by the end of the second test i think a lot of teams had started to get on top of that but others had not so it's uh yeah definitely given us a better look at the sort of um competitive picture going into the new season but obviously as i mean drivers keep saying like they, they really take everything with a pinch of salt so we'll see but uh, yeah i think we definitely sort of made some we, we got a better understanding of where things are at as we head into the, the first race of the year you mentioned uh, no red flags on the first day in Barcelona, and there was very low red flag count at that event, but it was massively skyrocketed in Bahrain, but kind of actually artificially in a way. There were a lot more stoppages, it must be said, uh, particularly uh, the Alfa Romeo car breaking down all the time. But um, the, the FIA was testing its systems at the end of various sessions. Not altogether smoothly, though, it seemed. I think that the systems worked, but it's not like the teams were sort of sending their cars out some of them getting stuck in the pit lane yeah taking part and I think I think at one point Leclerc was on quite a quick lap I believe and then they sort of threw this red flag to test the systems and it, it ruined that run so uh, yeah I think it was definitely uh, definitely a bit more artificially boosted as you say but it, it just it just felt like there were a lot more sort of teething problems and things going wrong but that's to be expected I guess they sort of push for more performance and uh, yeah try and sort of find a bit more pace in their cars obviously but it was uh, yeah definitely it definitely felt more like the more like a first test should if that makes sense just in terms of things going wrong but um yeah i think by the end of the test most teams were i mean even haas alfa romeo had very difficult first tests the second one went a lot better for them so i think everybody had something they could hang their hat on at the end of testing which is a good thing but obviously some were much happier than others fia systems dissolving into shambles We've never heard that before. Anyway, Matt, you've written a piece for Autosport.com Plus and for Autosport Magazine about what the cars look like trackside. And there is certainly, every every team, every driver seems to be struggling more. So what was it about that Bahrain track that, that you observed and that we come to understand about why these, particularly with these new cars, the drivers were struggling uh, in Bahrain? The easiest way to put it is what we saw in Barcelona, Bahrain exaggerated the, the sort of the key areas. And that is new cars are a lot heavier um, so we've gone up to uh, 790 odd kilos now. I think that you know, give or take three kilos at this point, depending on um, the FIA sort of uh, voting through a, an amendment. Um, but so we've got the heaviest cars, I think, since basically the 1910s, 1920s, when they were sort of you know getting towards a, a ton. So the heaviest Grand Prix cars are 90 kilos, and then we've got Turn 10 at, at Bahrain, which is a very slow downhill braking zone, left-hander with a bit of camber on it. And so we've got cars going light, lots of locking up, and they just look a bit ponderous. And then you add into that sort of, you know, the two the two sort of ways teams are approaching it, either to run over the curbs as normal 
in which case the cars are pitching and diving because they are heavier and it takes them longer to respond or avoiding them as well. And then you see sort of people not taking the right line, understeering wide. So you've got that exaggeration. And as Luke mentioned, porpoising has been this sort of key word of, of F1 2022 so far, where the cars are going up and down, up and down. And the only real area I, I spotted at trackside um, at Barcelona was on the run into turn one from sort of, you know, Mercedes was worse about the 400 meter board, but generally, generally sort of uh, on the run into that braking zone. Bahrain, a couple of longer straights, seeing a bit more, but the first time we'd really seen it through some of the high-speed corners. So they're, you know, they're the more ponderous cars, and the, and this sort of, you know, really bizarre wobbling that we've not or not seen since the 1980s. They're just sort of exaggerated to use that cliche, sort of turned up to 11 in Bahrain. So um, so is it good to good to sort of see again because of the development since uh, Barcelona, which teams have been developing remedies. So their carbon rods connecting the uh, the base of the engine cover to the floor to add in that stiffness. So that was dialing out a lot of porpoising for some teams. But because of the exaggerated features of, Bar- uh, of Bahrain, you could see where Ferrari, um, AlphaTauri, uh, Mercedes, Alpine were still struggling with it. You could, you could, it was just sort of, it was just a spotlight was shone on it. So you could see the teams that hadn't quite got to grips with the new rules package or certainly tuning to the new rules package. Well, let's come on to the teams where we think they might be stacking up ahead of the first race. It's interesting. I note in the uh, the running order we've got for this podcast from our producer, Martin, uh, we've got Mercedes first. Now, there's obviously there's a bit of logic to that, seeing as uh, Mercedes won the Constructors' Championship last year. But it's quite interesting. I definitely wouldn't have uh, Mercedes in first place in terms of the pecking order. And there's quite a key there's quite a key reason why we're still going to talk about that team first because essentially we speculated on whether uh, the team was sandbagging Luke you and I in a, in a video that went up on the Autosport YouTube channel. I think there's definitely an element of it's not been running at full whack. I think that's fairly safe to say but clearly especially what we saw in that sort of final hour final 90 minute shootout at the end of the last day Mercedes is off the pace. And what we've come to understand from chatting to people in the paddock, it's not something that they can fix very, very quickly. It's not like last year where it was like, well, we just got to find the right setup to make sure to, to, to get the car into the right window. It's a fundamental issue that they're going to have to design their way out of. And that's not the work of a moment, particularly as what we understand it with the, the concept of the, you know, the no side pods generating a huge amount of downforce. But that means the way the floors are flexing on all the cars, that design exaggerates that issue. So Mercedes was even porpoising in the corners when George Russell was going on uh, his uh, in- his fastest uh, efforts uh, at the end of the session. They took some pretty radical steps to try and fix the issue, even taking a saw to the outer edges of their floor to try and reduce their downforce, just to see what's what was going on really, and which you know which direction might might be best to go in. But how does it feel, Luke? I mean, you you were covering Formula One in 2019. Does it feel particularly different to that year when it looked like Mercedes were off the pace, but then they rocked up at the first race and won anyway? Is it is it fundamentally that different? It does feel a lot different. Yeah, I remember in 19, I think it was the first test they turned up. And uh, I did hear, I think the most extreme explanation of it, I heard that they did a race simulation. They got lapped compared to what they should have been. So obviously, that's not where Merck at all ever expects to be. Uh, but then by the second test, yeah, they brought a load of new parts and it was sorted and it was fine. I think even after the first test, we um, we sort of joked like, oh, we're going to see the W13B turn up. And there was this talk about the side pods. And we maybe expected that same kind of step forward. And that just never came. And then by the end of the test, yeah, it was pretty clear. The mood just felt very, very different. And it's not only the fact that Mercedes were talking themselves down. This is something that um Matt picked up on last week as well is the fact that even other rivals um, Pierre Gasly had a few laps wheel to wheel with Hamilton uh, on one of the days testing last week and even he said oh yeah it's quite clear that Lewis is struggling so I think the mood is very different and it is the added things of that 
as you say, it's not the work of a moment, the way they sort of got to get out of this. It's a concept and a direction they've really gone down. And the other thing is the budget cap as well. You can't just spend your way out of trouble now. You can't just throw enough money at the problem until it goes away. You're limited in terms of what you can do, how many updates you can bring through a season, what ideas and directions you can really go down. So the mood is definitely different. And I think that, I mean, we've done a lot of articles quoting drivers Max Verstappen he was like no it's always like this that Mercedes are miles off the next week they're there oh we've won oh thanks everyone at the factory and he was quite quite sarky to our Dutch colleagues about it all but it's uh, it, it just does feel a bit different this time around and I think that as I said last week on one of the shows if they lock out the third row on Sunday in Bahrain sorry on Saturday in Bahrain that um, that wouldn't be a big surprise that would be I think pretty much in line with what we're expecting at the moment so it's going to be I think it, there's a lot of work for Mercedes to do and I think that yeah this sort of scepticism we've seen from drivers and both fans on social media they're always like yeah we've heard this one before uh, even saw one person screenshot said I think a headline from every year 18 19 20 and 21 of Mercedes going yeah we're not so sure we might be a bit off the pace but I think this feels a little bit different this time around. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, um, I mean, it's just such a fundamentally different formula. There's every chance that, yeah, things really, really have gone wrong for Mercedes. But I still think that team is so capable, they will eventually uh, work their way out, out of trouble. And the team is, is pretty adamant that it, it's designed, you know, it's, it's got all, all confidence in it. So, um, Matt, I just wondered what, what you thought. We, we were out on the, on the last day of the test. Uh, we went trackside. We, we walked around in the absolutely sweltering sunshine. You spent a long time looking in the mirror, one of the mirrors at the track, trying to um, check your hair was still in place. Um, what did you make of the, uh, the moment? Well, actually, it wasn't really a moment. It was a long period where Lewis Hamilton was following Pierre Gassi in the Alpha Tauri quite closely. Did you, did you learn anything about any particular Mercedes weakness through that, through that moment? What I will say is those mirrors were there on blind curves to help uh, the drivers, uh, like truck drivers, shuttle bus drivers, see around the corners. And all I was doing, Alex, while walking with our esteemed Grand Prix editor was making sure there was no oncoming traffic to keep you safe. Absolute lies. <laughs> I'm not questioning Mercedes' infinite wisdom, but there is an element of the biggest rule change arguably ever in, in, in Formula One. And by virtue of bringing such a heavily updated car to Bahrain, they've only in, a, in effect, giving themselves three days to test the test effectively the finished article. So some troubles there. What did I notice about the Mercedes from trackside? Fundamentally, I think, and it, this goes across all formulas I've, I've watched trackside, all clubbies I've been to, it doesn't matter how much fuel you put in a car, what rubbish tyres you chuck on it, you can still tell a good chassis from the way it goes around the corner. And that's most evident with Red Bull, who I'm sure will come on to soon. So even if the Mercedes was topped up to the brim and it was running, you know, the worst C5 compound, it still didn't have the aggression with which it uh, with which the Red Bull turned in. And I think, you know, sort of cross cross referencing this with a with a couple of people I was speaking to, is I think this stems to how much Mercedes is struggling with porpoising, how much the car is, you know, potentially being too too effective at creating downforce, and that's sucking it into the ground, the air stalling, it's popping back up and, uh, and going down. It's obviously, we've seen the videos of it. It's, you know, it's a nauseating experience for the drivers. One way of combating porpoising is to basically just 
fix the car in place. And you do that by whacking everything, springs, dampers, as stiff as it will go, just to keep the floor in place so it's not porpoising. And that would tally with what we saw trackside when he was when Hamilton was following Pierre Gasly, when he was doing solo runs, whatever. And again, I'm bringing you back to that turn 10 point where he's coming in and he's locking up lap after lap after lap and then understeering wide. And that suggests to me that that car is in sort of like a granite-like position where as soon as there's an element of um, incline, decline, camber, that inside wheel is just picking up and it's, it's not responding. It's being lethargic and then it's locking and that's forcing Hamilton to understeer and we saw him at turn 10 running well off the asphalt and coming right close to the barriers he's taken to the runoff all of that would suggest to me and I'm, I'm not a mechanic I don't have an engineering degree but it was it was an exaggeration of, of the this school of thought we've got that Mercedes are struggling with porpoising so much that they're just having to run a car really stiff and because of that it, it, it looks like a knife edge racer it looks like it's got a very narrow operating window and and effectively I know you know we can talk about Mercedes typically struggling at Bahrain compared to some circuits but it looks like a car with a narrow operating window at that venue and it's a window that Mercedes are struggling to find yeah regularly uh, mercedes do seem to struggle at this track but matt i just want to thank you there i think you've demonstrated exactly why i was keen for you to get into the f1 team uh, with that insight and knowledge there superb stuff and um, but yeah let's come on to uh, red bull as you as you as you guys said we we we, we would obviously be talking about them quite quickly they ended up finishing testing uh, at the front uh, for any listeners who didn't catch the last day of the test the upgrades they bought were changed to their side pods which influences where the airflow comes down to the back of the floor uh, changes to the forward bits of the floor itself and minor front wing tweaks but what was particularly Particularly, particularly key, I think, for Red Bull, Luke, is that it just looked quick. It, it hit the headline times. It did it spectacularly. Max Verstappen spun. There's an amazing video going around a comparison of Lewis Hamilton doing the same spin in 2021 and Max doing it hmm. in 2022. But the thing was, was Hamilton's backed off and was just like, well, okay, this just shows you how we'll lose the rear end is on the Mercedes. But Verstappen recharged his batteries again, went for another lap, was still quicker than the Ferrari, which I thought was indicative of why Red Bull... I think they're the favourites going into this race, uh, this uh, this first race. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I think that the car it just it just looks like it's it's really really on rails at the moment. Like it's really set up very very well. And I think that as you said, that was a perfect example of it. That Verstappen had the confidence to be able to go and do that and just just bosh in that lap. And I think that it. It, it's just a very it's a it's a big statement from Red Bull to make this early on and I think there were sort of questions last year about okay well if Thoma and Mercedes continue to sort of outdevelop each other just for that championship how much is that going to hurt this year might Ferrari have a huge advantage we'll get on to Ferrari I know but I think Red Bull they've really come out of the blocks really well they made a, a subtle uh, yeah change to the, the side pod design for the, for the final day of testing and uh, yeah there weren't any it didn't seem to be any dramas coming from that so it all seemed to work really really well for them and I think that I think they can be very, very confident. And um, yeah, they, I know there's all this sort of finger pointing of, oh, well, Ferrari look good and Mercedes, they're probably lying. And well, we don't know where we are, but... It's that Spider-Man meme. Yeah, right? it's great, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then there's a Spider-Man meme of uh, Horner, Bonotto and Wolf pointing at each other saying, oh, you're fastest. And then uh, afterwards, a sandstorm coming in with Gunter Steiner's face on saying, Haas won too, which uh, really tickled me. But it's, um, it, it would, I, I just think Red Bull, yeah, looking at everything at the moment, I think they are the favourite. I think they've um, they've clearly obviously worked well over the winter and yeah I think they can be pretty pleased with how that test finished and I know the fastest time in testing isn't 
that it doesn't mean everything, but the way that Max set it and just the confidence that came out of the team on that final day, I thought was really telling. Yeah, anyone who just dismisses the, t- the testing as, oh, you can't read anything into the times. Oh, it's boring. Come on. You can you can learn so much just from, from you, from looking at the car's track side, just from the way the tests went. I think we're going to come on to talk about McLaren later on from a brilliant Barcelona to a, a very disappointing Bahrain. Doesn't necessarily mean they're off the pace, but it's definitely going to impact uh, their season. But yeah, Matt, what, what do you make of uh, what do you make of Red Bull do you think um you agree with Luke and I that they're the favorites going into this first race I do and I don't want to say you know I've been an oracle and uh, and whatever before but I, I was starting to get that sense before Verstappen did that time and sort of just just sort of and that sort of just confirms what you are saying is true so c- a couple of things that that I noticed with uh, with Verstappen one into turn 10 these are heavier cars so as as Alex you wrote about in Barcelona we're expecting you know breaking distance to be increased but I, I just compared for interest uh, the 2021 pole lap set by Verstappen and, and then the onboard of his his set or his test best lap. He's actually breaking later by about 10 meters. So let's say there's just a bit of sound editing, you know, issues. That's breaking at the same point potentially. That's that's quite impressive considering such a substantial weight gain. But what I wanted to say what I wanted to say about the Red Bull is. It, it, it looks so responsive. Um, it's a horrible phrase to use, but it's the only car that had that X factor. And what I mean by that is, and Alex, you, you can confirm this. We were we were watching uh, in Barcelona at the the fourteen fifteen chicane, and uh, it was the first time I saw Verstappen out on track that that morning of the second day, whenever it was. And and he came towards it. He changed his direction. I thought, oh, he's, he spun it. He's lost it. And it, he hadn't. It was absolutely fine. But it's the aggression with which he could turn in and a front end that you know wasn't understeering at all that made the rear somehow look really loose. And it wasn't oversteering. It was just it was just so sort of live and light on its toes. It was sort of a bit deceptive. And, and that's again what we saw um, what we saw in Bahrain. It had that real you know wow factor that the other teams didn't have. And it's interesting that that comes at this start of this new rule change because you know. Whether you thought they were good looking or not, Red Bull really exaggerated that high rake sort of um, design ethos for the previous gen of rules. And there was a school of thought that to get ground effect to work, you need to run your floor as flat and as close to the ground as possible. Not not Red Bull territory or certainly hasn't been over the last few years. But the way, you know, what some observers were picking up on uh, in Bahrain is that the way Red Bull seems to have got round Paulson is actually... You know, perversely introducing just a just a hint of rake to sort of you know a, a you know I don't I don't quite understand the physics, but basically to 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 stop the air from stalling and and that you know perversely or un, against all expectations we had for what we thought would be a low rake here is is seeming to to work here and and I I probably saw more of Perez in the car than I did Verstappen in Bahrain. But again, I, you know, it, it tallies with what I saw, just the aggression with which they can turn in suggests a driver that's supremely confident with the chassis they have underneath them. Absolutely. Well, a couple, couple of quick things there. I mean, you mentioned that sort of lively rear end. That's why Max Verstappen is so good particularly compared to the other Red Bull teammates that he's had, it's because he can just cope with everything and it looks like it's out of control for everyone else. He's the one who can deliver and be very, very quick in it. And yeah, we did think, the rake discussion had been ended by the ground effect era, but seemingly not with Red Bull. But also really, really interestingly, the fact that if Mercedes is off the pace as everyone expects, with you know, that they were the they were the team, obviously Aston Martin Racing Point joined them, who were were the low rake uh, concept. I mean obviously it's extremely different, but there was a sort of school of thought that, yep, going back to everyone having no rake, it might favour Mercedes. But seemingly not, at least at this stage. Let's come on to the dark prancing horse because nice. Ferrari <laughs> thank you, Luke, thank you. Um the, the Ferrari had an excellent testing, top the lap charts in, in Barcelona. 
weren't the the headline quickest times in either test, but just looked just looked solid, just looked dependable. And now they're coming out and saying we're on par in terms of engine performance with Mercedes, with Red Bull powertrains, Red Bull Honda. And that's really where the problem has been for Ferrari in the last couple of years is that power deficit. But with with Ferrari, I mean, the, the key thing there's, there's sort of an, a secondary element, which is the the, the the car weight, which we haven't talked about. You know, it's important for for all the teams. Really, everybody's having a problem hitting the weight limit. I understand um, that you spoke to the FIA sort of head of single seater matters, Nicholas uh, Tom Biasis. Tom Basis. I'm sorry, I'm terrible at pronouncing names, which is ironic given my own. But there we go. Uh, we move on. Um, he's explaining that essentially the problems with the weights are stemming with these uh, from the new standard parts that have come in heavier than expected because to make them hit their targets which seems a little bit perverse it would cost too much but it's because it's a standard part it's like right get on with it so the teams are saying well hang on a minute this is affecting us uh, quite badly even like adding those floor stays that matt mentioned to help with the porpoising that's obviously of course adding additional weights that have argued for that increase in the weight limit but ferrari apparently doing pretty well with the weight limits that will naturally give it lap time my calculations for my feature that i wrote on analyzing the test testing put them at times over a race on a second a lap clear of mercedes now we've got to point out the usual uh, testing caveats about fuel loads especially also engine modes you know they're going to be turned down at that point but it's looking pretty good for ferrari and my sense sort of speaking to the team and, and listening to them in their press statements is that they're very confident too what what, what did you make of ferrari luke yeah it's been a, a quiet confidence i think has been coming from ferrari and charles leclerc he even said on one of the days last week that it's been one of the smoothest testings he's had in Formula 1 which I think is a, a very good sign we know obviously 20 and, and 21 were, were difficult seasons for Ferrari compared to their usual extremely high standard and all through testing like there's never been any any sense of sort of panic or even worry or concern at Ferrari like it's all been pretty good and they said that we're not going to bring any massive updates to the car between the first and second test just some small bits here and there and that really allowed them to spend six days basically fully understanding the package they've got and uh, as Matt said that Mercedes basically had three days to understand its new radical side pod design, everything like that. Ferrari, they said, look, we're going to go with the sort of the, this this baseline. We're going to just work as much as we can on that, and I think that's really paid off. And um, you and I both noticed, Alex, that Mattia Bonotto was very almost a bit over the top in his uh, he, being so complimentary towards Mercedes. He was exuberant. He was yeah. looking around the press conference, turning left and which right, is, listening to what everyone strange. was saying. Like, I mean, Mattia's, I mean, yeah, perfectly, perfectly nice to deal with. But he, even then, like after everything that's happened between Ferrari and Merck in the past it was just a, it really was like oh okay like you're you're in a chipper mood today and maybe that's because he knows that hey we've got a, a pretty good car this year and I think that it's it's a very good sign and yeah we've had all of this winter of Ferrari the expectations being there that they started their car development so much earlier they had all of this additional wind tunnel testing time as a sort of legacy from their disastrous 2020 season but there's been nothing that's happened through testing that's sort of quelled that or made that any quieter like the drivers still getting the same questions about expectation even i asked i said to carlos science like look i mean it's it's still going well like the expectations there and he said well it's typical of mercedes like they'll be pointing the finger at us but it's uh yeah i think that i just think ferrari can be really pleased with how it's gone and i think that they are they're in that conversation for favorites like it's either red bull or ferrari and if it was a fight between the two of them for the race win on sunday that wouldn't be a surprise at all. Can I make a bold prediction here? Flippant one, admittedly. Carlos Sainz Jr. wins the Bahrain Grand Prix after Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc crash at the first corner. Wow. Sergio Perez still somehow finishes fourth. <laughs> Brutal. Matt, the Ferrari concept is very, very different from uh, the Red Bull and, of course, the Mercedes, which is different from everybody else. But 
do you think that's influenced the sort of car behavior based on what you saw in the two tests? Uh, not necessarily, but I think that is a point to touch on. How cool is it to be, you know, talking at the start of a, a new a new sort of generation of cars before design sort of naturally converges that the three sort of top contenders in Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari, their cars look so completely different and i know that's mainly around the sort of the treatment of the side pod where you've got the minimalist size zero ones from from mercedes the bathtubs from ferrari and these like really aggressive ones that i've described as looking like a bookshelf from from red bull because they seem to have found sort of so much space in the undercut underneath the inlet i think that's just a, a point to be celebrated the ferrari if the Red Bull was an A star from how it looks from the track side, I'd say the Ferrari is an A. It's it's obviously it's it, it looks very good. I don't think I recalled a single point across Barcelona or Bahrain morning afternoon whether I saw you know a, a signs or Leclerc on a particular run locking up more than once or twice in, in quick succession, which suggests you know it was just an individual error rather than something it, you know the way the car was set up that day or a fundamental like chassis flaw. I didn't see anything to suggest that. Um, and it, it looked really convincing, but perhaps just not quite as violent or aggressive as as the Red Bull. Um, and then I know I know this is this is sort of going into unknowns and 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 how the season develops. But it is that case of you know Ferrari is coming from a really good starting point, but just how well we think they may or may not develop during the season, and where they you know whether they can sustain that. But certainly going into Bahrain, yeah, I think. I think they're going to probably do a lot of their heavy hitting this season early on because that that car not only not only does it look convincing, but uh, you know as, as Lucas said, they've had six days to get to know it, and it didn't seem like anything they really did with it. You know, but from morning to afternoon, from different driver really upset it. It wasn't suddenly understeering. It wasn't suddenly oversteering. You know, if if to to go back to the Mercedes, that was a narrow uh, analogy. It looked like the Ferrari was super tolerant. You know, the absolute opposite of a diva. What I will say is that it was it was no one had the perfect test and as, as Leclerc knowledge Ferrari still suffering more than most with Porpsing it was another team to introduce these sort of carbon stays to add some stiffness in but that that didn't work to my eyes still seeing it you know bobbing up and down sort of rocking rocking on the way into turn one so there is still that issue with with that car indeed I think you've hit the sort of the nail on the head there it seems like the Mercedes that does have a very narrow operating window whereas the Ferrari concept the team hopes should allow it to be more competitive everywhere. Now that was sort of the the intention behind their their design in 2020. It's just the engine the engine lost the big significant uh, engine power loss meant that that wasn't at all possible. Um, but let's come on to the team that I think most people, including Autosport, has generally in sort of like if you were to do a theoretical uh, pecking order going into the first race, it would be McLaren. Based on what we saw in Barcelona, the team was you know right seemed seemingly right with Ferrari at least uh, there almost impossible to say where it stands uh, after the Bahrain test because the, the test was, was was pretty disastrous. You know, I'm using, again, that, that word a little bit flippantly in case anyone from the team is listening because it's not like they did no laps at all. It's just it, it wasn't how, of course, they wanted to, they wanted to, wanted it to play out. And, you know, does, it makes good podcasting when you go a little bit over the top. So I'm told. Anyway, I do I listen to an NFL podcast and they say the most outrageous things. So maybe I'll just do a bit more of that come 2022. But, um, but yeah, with McLaren, the problem essentially was uh, the front brake ducts were a little bit too small to cope with the uh, the extreme temperatures. or well, they, they weren't necessarily extreme temperatures, although the, the Friday, the second day uh, here in Bahrain was enormously hot. I think at one point it did it was nearly 40 degrees uh, Celsius in terms, in terms of uh, peak heat. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's not been absolutely boiling, but it's still obviously much much hotter than most places and of course much hotter than Barcelona so yeah 
too small to cope with the heat and also just just generally with the layout of the track it meant that mclaren was limited to, to very very um low low sort of stint lengths on the opening day they only did nine laps the longest stint length for lando norris uh the second day it was nine and then going up towards 12 and, and a little bit longer on the final day when they, they sort of engineered a temporary fix uh at the track but the more permanent fix is coming for uh the grand prix this weekend so of course we expect mclaren will complete that full race distance but the other big problem luke was that it was lando norris doing all of the running uh, because Daniel Ricciardo tested positive for COVID-19. Now, we've actually had a bit of an update about Daniel uh, Ricciardo today. He will be definitely commuting in all the sessions this weekend. Yes, yep. So he's tested negative now for COVID-19, which is very good news. And in line with all of the local regulations here in Bahrain, he's going to be in the paddock tomorrow. So it's going to be a very normal race weekend. Um, so that's uh, very good news for McLaren. But yeah, I think for Ricciardo, there's going to be a lot of time to make up for because he's not been in the car for, what, three, four weeks now. Landon Norris did all of that running last week. But um, yeah, he said, I've not done many laps like because there's been this issue. So he said, it's not it's not been like I've um, missed out on, on, on too much, to be honest honest but it's uh yeah i think that it's it was a setback for mclaren definitely and obviously for for ricardo in particular but i think that they just now need just to get into the groove this weekend and yeah the fact he's back is is really really good uh they would have had nick de Vries or oscar piastri as their sort of available reserves if required but that's uh yeah never a route you really want to go down and you want your your race drivers and your star drivers in the car every weekend so uh yeah it's really good news that uh, ricardo's back in business so hopefully he can uh hit the ground running and yeah McLaren can make up for the, the lost time in, in Bahrain testing a little bit and uh, have a, a solid start to the season also very important for that team to do so bearing in mind Bahrain you know considerable owners of, uh, of that team but yeah you, you mentioned that press conference of Landon Norris was like yeah I'm, I'm not in any I'm not uncomfortable at all because I haven't been running enough he was called out of it early because he was the only driver that go and had to do the second session in the afternoon on the Saturday uh, which just uh, which which uh, explains you know he was here there and everywhere really Landon Norris apart from when the McLaren unfortunately wasn't out on the track um, but yeah, also, it also created a very um, quirky stats point come the end of the test in that Lando Norris topped the individual lap count, I think only by one. He had 200 laps, but McLaren was right down the bottom <laughs> in total because it's, it's just adding up the three days that Norris did, uh, but wasn't wasn't running anywhere near where McLaren should have been running in terms of mileage uh, across the three days. But Matt, the big thing about McLaren, which is why I think a lot of people have got it so high up uh, in, their, in their sort of potential pecking order for the year is the fact that it doesn't really have a porpoising problem and that's pretty that's pretty good for the team but what does that mean in terms of how the car's behaving uh, when we did see it out on track yeah and, and it's important to mention not only did they not have a porpoising problem but they sort of never did it wasn't as if it, like other teams where between Barcelona and Bahrain they've got on top of it the McLaren has looked, looked good all, all the way through um, I just want to pick up on obviously the point you know Daniel Ricciardo having lacked mileage so much in what is obviously potentially a critical year for him because you know it was always the acceptance that last year when he was losing that two three tenths to Lando around sort of the braking and 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 you know how he was adapting his driving style as well 2022 is a reset point the new era that's that's where you're getting to that's if you can get it to there and resolve it then you know he can be he can be more competitive than he has been so to lose that those three days or you know two mornings and afternoon whatever his run plan in Bahrain would be critical um in terms of McLaren trackside is a bit of a difficult one to place actually because the mileage or or the run run plan was so compromised that you know Norris said because the brakes were cooking so much they were really limited to quali sim so it's a sort of you know a quick lap and then a cool down lap and so it was it's kind of hard to judge how consistent the car was so I base my observations more on more on what I saw in Barcelona one I think this is a bit more sort of um it's 
doesn't matter in terms of performance. But this is the car that might, looks most like a 2021 car, I think, just because that I, I guess it's it's the underneath of the car that's doing the heavy lifting in terms of in terms of sort of you know how it, how it's channeling the air. The, the top surfaces look quite quite bulbous as as were the as were the side pods for the McLaren last year. But that's by the by. It, it looks it looks good. Um, Again, if you equate it to a, it's a, a grade, it's probably it's probably a B B plus, and it's it's it it you know all the other teams we'll talk about there was like an obvious flaw apart from maybe Haas something you see that was unconvincing. McLaren didn't really have that, but um, if if those were you know what we saw was just Norris doing quali sims, it didn't look that aggressive. It just looked really smooth and clean, sort of more more Ferrari style, I suppose. But you know, I'm not I'm not copping out, but it, it didn't do enough mileage really for me to to have a proper gauge. I also walked up a bit and saw it at um, uh, turn 11, which is a sort of medium speed left hander. And again, it look, it looks good through there, well resolved. It's obviously giving the driver confidence, but it, it looks it looks smooth rather than sort of inspiring, I suppose. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Indeed. Well, let's come on to talk about the rest, as it were. Now, it's quite interesting, Luke, you and I have been talking uh, over the last couple of days in Bahrain about, you know, the pecking order and how what, what we're going to say about things like that. And my point has always consistently been, from this point, I can't tell. And it's, really, it's actually really, really interesting. But where is one key point in that, from what I've seen, from what I've understood by speaking to people in the paddock, from looking at the times, there is no clear backmarker squad. It's not like Williams in you know, 2019, 2020, you know, missing the test, being clearly off the back, not having a chance to, you know, develop its way out of problems by that stage and being several seconds a lap clear. That's, uh, you know, clear off the back, as it were. They all seem to be extremely close. My argument is that you can place any one of these teams, we're talking Alpine, Aston Martin, Alpha Tower, if you look at the 2021 championship, Alfa Romeo, Williams and Haas, you can place almost all of them anywhere. But I think what's really key here and there's two things first of all i've been told that alpha tauri could be up at mercedes level because the, the you know the red bull concept and the and the understanding and the engineering there is very strong but equally Haas and alfa romeo with the ferrari engine gains because of that one factor they themselves are significant factors the problem is that each one of the teams we're sort of talking about has had specific problems williams lost a day of running because of the brake fire didn't get to do a headline time so I think everybody generally in the paddocks is sort of saying yeah you'd put them last but it's almost like by default and that's what it's not it's sort of yeah they're last but it's not doing them a disservice if that makes sense I still think it's a very handy design it looks very similar to the Mercedes with the side pod concept the team is very confident very bullish you know I think it's, it's not the era just gone for Williams Alfa Romeo the car can't stay running it keeps breaking down repeatedly Valtteri Bottas several uh, transmission issues actually stopping at the same point down that turn eight hairpin across the Bahrain test Haas you know all the off-track problems and con- considerable reliability issues as well and then with Alpine and Aston Martin it's, it's almost disguised they had solid tests they looked okay Fernando Alonso got Alpine up the order with some you know eye-catching runs very very late on in the test but equally 
team doesn't insist it was like a low fuel glory run but it's just it's just so hard to place them so what's your what's your reading of the teams behind the 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 the, the top teams based on testing and also do you do you enjoy the fact that it's so unclear at this stage what's sort of going on in that in that part of the pack yeah i think that sums it up quite well and i think that we're going to see all of those teams you could be fighting to get through q1 and also and, and not make it but you could also be making q3 and, and scrape in so i think there's a really is such a a tight um tight knit pack there which is really really exciting and i think that yeah we've always talked about this this kind of midfield gaggle that we've had for years and years and years and the sort of yeah best of the rest class b battle whatever you may want to call it but this year it does seem to be so so much more spread out which is which is really exciting and i think that the fact that we don't really have like a a, a dead last team that's really cool as well because it means that hopefully all this season all, all of the teams can go yeah we want to be regular points and like and have have a decent haul it's interesting that yeah we do have such a close battle between all of those teams and I think that's that's good for all of them involved as well it keeps your motivation going it's not going to be I mean Goodstein last year was very open about it being a transition year for Haas where they were like yep we're going to finish last we know that we can't really fight for much more and and that that just okay that's the reality of it but in terms of the motivation and what it does for your team it's not brilliant like you want to be knowing okay we can fight for points and go into this weekend thinking yep we can reach key three we can get some points and after this weekend that may all change but for the first time in a while we do come to Bahrain with that feeling in mind that yeah anybody could be in Q3 anybody could score points this weekend and it may well be that just getting to the finish that's enough to get yourself some points so it's it's very exciting and yeah it's a very clouded picture but I think it's quite cool that it's uh, it's that close absolutely it puts a premium on the drivers of those teams you know delivering their best and not making uh, any mistakes i think um just, just interesting because i sort of i suggested that you know if you're going to put williams uh, right at the uh, um, potentially uh, at the back or down the order and maybe alpha tauri being up there with mercedes per one source that told me in the paddock another one suggested that actually um Haas could be could be right up at the front of the midfield squad maybe even bothering mclaren and potentially, you sort of you, you putting two and two together on, on certain aspects. Um, McLaren is being quite vocal about the sort of Ferrari Haas relationship and those sort of um, not not B team squads, but the close relationships between squads up and down the grid. McLaren is unhappy about that. Now, why are they particularly vocal now? Because I think they might be a little bit afraid of Haas, which is which is really really interesting considering where that team ended up last year. And again, shows you potentially how much power Ferrari has found in its engine, but also that Haas does look like it was like it's been uh, designed and um, particularly intricately and, and, and quite nicely and the team itself speaking to team members there that I know they're, they're 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 much happier of course than they were the last couple of years but Matt again based on what you saw at the two tests are there any sort of standout points that we should acknowledge from this big gaggle of cars that I can't really separate I don't know how the rest of you feel but yeah any, anything you particularly wanted to add there? Yeah, there's quite a bit to say on and all the teams, really. So if my analysis of the McLaren was unconvincing because it just looked fundamentally like a good car, I think everyone else has has sort of a, a noticeable flaw. The Haas, I thought, particularly was poor at putting down its power out of turn 10. So Magnussen and Schumacher in particular struggling a lot, sort of a lot, lots of wiggling, as it were, from, from the back axle. Um, Aston Martin, to sort of combat the porpoising problem, they've just slammed the car into the ground and it is, is sparking and, and grounding out on the run into turn one. And I noticed particularly with Vettel, and again, this is something that, uh, that uh, was 
scene between in Barca and in Bahrain just looks like an understeery car. You see when he turns into a slow corner, you see his hands really dart above the dashboard because he's he's being super aggressive. I think he just wants it to answer to helm. And, and I I saw sort of Stroll doing it to to a lesser extent, but I think that's more of a trait of the Aston Martin rather than you know Vettel's more or what we come to expect is a, a smoother driving style. Alfa Romeo is interesting. Um, you know. Is again? Is that am I am I seeing this because I know it's got the shorter wheelbase, or has it got the shorter wheelbase? So I'm seeing that reflected in the car. But it looks really agile at low speed because because um, because it is it, sort of compact and it's quite responsive. But then you know, Alfa Romeo like Haas, as we covered off, water leaks, cooling leaks, transmission failures. It's just so unreliable. The one that's most interesting for me is Alpine, and that's because. We know Alonso doesn't mince his words, right? GP2 engine, whatever. You know, he's, he's you know, that was the best race I've ever done. It was only for a 12th place. But, you know, he really he really sort of exaggerates for, for better or for worse. And then I've seen sort of some people do, do their timings and Alpine rates quite highly sort of towards the end of the midfield, you know, ready to pick up the pieces if a, a team has a bad day and, and jump on the podium. I thought it looked a bit unconvincing from trackside. Lockups, understeer, oversteer, all of those problems as like the set list, but also happening at different times and consecutive laps. So, you know, it might be, let's let's take uh, turns two and three, for example. It might be that the first time I saw Alonso go around, he's he's going deep into turn one. That's putting him really wide over the curbs on turn two. And then he's, he's swinging back across the track for turn three. Another another lap, he's he's sort of really tight to the apex on on turn one, taking a completely different line to turn turn two, and it might be just on that stint they changed some settings and we're trying to work out what makes the car work. And but for me, and you know, uh, Alonso's credentials are, are, are in no doubt. It looked like a car that was just sort of not vague, but that was the one where there was the biggest discrepancy between what people were saying. And what the drivers are saying and what, what we're seeing trackside. So I think, you know, they're not going to drop to the back of the grid. But what was, what was it that they, they had that 100 Grand Prix plan to get to the front? I think they could be about to waste another sort of 10 of those Grand Prix unlocking this car. Because so far, not brilliant. Well, let's move on to a couple of the news topics that, um, that, that you know, are at the forefront of everybody's mind going into the new season. Because they really concern uh, how the last one ended and that's that the FIA has tweaked uh, various sporting rules uh, as a result of what happened in Abu Dhabi uh, last year although I did also note that there's there's been an interesting change in that now the drivers who finish in the top three must stay in their race suits for the duration of the press conference and the TV interviews they've got to wear it like fully done up which is going to be you know quite hot when it comes to uh, there's one driver in particular who's not going to be at all pleased by that who's yeah very quick to change out of his race suit after the race and I wonder whether the change has been brought about because of like TV broadcast contracts because it is delaying things like press True. conferences yeah. it is delaying you know them then they need to get things out who knows i do i do hope this means that it, it's not a sort of clamp down on drivers potentially protesting and showing their views because i think that would be a wrong step um because ultimately when it comes to those those race suits it's the teams that they are representing and their sponsors so it's 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 them that, that, that the drivers are sort of not not I, offending is the wrong word, but I mean it, they are they are that that is what the issue is. It's, it's, it's going to be the team saying, "Oh, hang on a minute, you're covering up our sponsors," as opposed to Formula One sort of processes. So anyway, we, we wait to see uh, what what the drivers make of that. But the really really uh, key change is that Article fifty five point one three now reads: 
If the clerk of the course considers it safe to do so, the message lapped cars may now overtake. Uh, Spencer all competitors using the official messaging system. All cars that have been lapped by the leader will be required to pass the cars on the lead lap and the safety car. And it's the all in that sentence that's key because before it was any, that left the sort of ambiguity and the, let's face it, the shenanigans that went down in Abu Dhabi so controversially. So Luke, is that, you know, you is that, sort of move to satisfy uh, make a satisfying conclusion from what from what went on in Abu Dhabi yeah it's a bit of a bit of clarity because the the all versus any wording that was part of Red Bull's argument when it came to Michael Massey's decision to only let five cars unlap themselves as opposed to to um the 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 full lot of cars to get them out of the way basically so Verstappen and Hamilton could race each other because yeah Red Bull said well any doesn't mean all and Mercedes said well no that's a that's a bogus argument and it's it does seem yeah it seems very strange and I think that we do have throughout the regulations be it relating to safety car anything there are always these little tweaks where you look through and there'll be one word that's changed from basically it's pretty much a synonym it'll mean the same thing Um, but I think this one is just important so now we do know that if there is a repeat thing they can't just say you 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 and you can unlap yourself it has to be every single car that is allowed to go and do so um and uh, yeah the other thing with the safety car is now that the call for the safety cars come in at the end of the following lap which again wasn't done in Abu Dhabi that is given once that call lapped cars may now overtake is given instead of it being once they've all passed the safety car so it just speeds things up a little bit which is uh, seems like another positive step but yeah it's, it's just more clarity basically I mean Abu Dhabi we've we've spoken at length about it we've written at length about it and I think it's good that we can get a bit more clarity now uh, we know we got the World Motorsport Council this week there's uh, meetings and and final approvals being given to rule changes and then yeah hopefully we can get this new era off to a really good start in Bahrain and put everything from Abu Dhabi to bed Uh, it's not something that people are going to forget we know that and nor should they but little rule tweaks like this just mean that it will never happen again which is important for everybody absolutely that is that is the key thing i think there's rumblings that from certain organizations maybe this won't be the last we've heard of the abu dhabi controversy but equally you know the the, the key thing with these these rule changes is that it can't happen again that or, or certainly the, the particular point on the on the lapped cars uh, overtaking on the safety car so that is a good thing well uh, all our listeners uh, to luke to matt thank you very much we've come to the end of our podcast today thank you very much everybody listening thanks luke and matt for joining me on this podcast and the autosport team will be back uh, with friday's practice podcast from the 2022 bahrain grand prix with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is it. This is the year. Enough dreaming about growing my business online. It's time to get serious about selling. In my style. As big as I want to grow. Because there's nothing I can't do. It's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level. Whoa, someone's ready to take on the new year. Oh, oh, I thought I was talking to myself there. 
but heck yeah, 2023 is my year. That's not your average resolution. That's a revolution. It's, it's a, a new, new year's, year's revolution. revolution. Start selling with Shopify to join the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand. From templates that make site design simple to customizations that let you grow at your pace. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. That's shopify.com slash free22. Go to shopify.com to start your New Year's revolution today. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.